going on, Champagne Sharks? This is T. Go to at Champagne Sharks on Twitter to follow the Twitter account. Um, go to patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks to become a member of $5 a month and you become a premium member. You get double the new episodes. You also get, at this point, access to almost 100 back episodes. So that's like 100 over 100 hours of listening gets unlocked immediately. Also, you become part of a something called a Discord server, which is a voice and chat server. The voice and chat server is pretty good. It has the opportunity for you to talk to other patrons and the hosts are in there now more regularly. So you get to uh, pick our brains and ask us questions. Also, you can follow me personally uh, at Ricky Rolls on Twitter, R-I-C-K-Y-R-A-W-L-S. And we have a guest with us. Introduce yourself. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Oxford. I'm actually a returning guest because, uh, wow, T, how long has it been since we did that episode on Issa Rae? It feels like so long time ago. Yeah, and you know what? I thought we had one more recently than that, well, but team, we, actually, we actually haven't. Yeah. Well, Teen came on to talk about burning. And Teen yeah. is uh, part of the same magazine and podcast that I'm part of, uh, Plan A Magazine and Escape from Plan A. But for me, yeah, it's the first time since the Issa Rae episode. And Mark came on too, so there was that. And oh, yeah, you know what? Too. I think, but you know what I think I'm thinking of? I think, did I go on to your show after that Issa yes, Rae episode? You did. Yeah, so I think that's really what I'm thinking of. That has me feeling like it's more recent. Yeah, but that's not even that recent too. That was, that was quite a while ago too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but time flies. The, um... You wrote a recent article, and actually, should I describe it or let you describe it? It's, it's, uh, uh, I mean, it, it's a recurring theme of uh, the show, but I thought the timeliness of it was pretty good because it's about uh, Game of Thrones, and it's called uh, Let Game of Thrones Be White. And I'll let yeah. you describe what it's about and what made you uh, bring it up. Yeah, well, I wrote it because, well, like Planet Magazine, it's an Asian, uh, we're an Asian American uh, like kind of like po- political and cultural magazine and podcast. So we write a lot about kind of stuff, which is uh, kind of like a commentary on the whole, you know, representation matters movement, which has really become very dominant in the in the political discourse of many minority groups. And I, I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan. T, you don't, do you watch the show? Um, I watched the first two seasons and then I stopped. And it wasn't like I disliked the show, but I just never really got whatever that bug is. Whatever it takes for you to get really rabid about that show, mm-hmm. I just don't have that gene or something. Like, <laughs> and, and I never like disliked the show. It was just like, it felt like homework, uh, that first two seasons. And I think probably what it is is, I'm not one of those people that when I watch, I'm good at tracking a lot of stuff. Like anything that needs an, a very good detail to attention and encyclopedic knowledge. Like, like uh, same thing with Harry Potter, like House of Slytherin and House of whatever and, and Hogwarts and Dogwarts. Like all that Hogwarts. stuff, I, I can't keep track of that stuff. I'm not good at it. And this show was that on steroids. Like, like no one had like a... You know, easy to remember name and, you know, except like maybe like Ned Stark. Everyone else was like Tadgerous and yeah, House of This and House of That. And I feel like it's only gotten worse. Like um, this barista, my local coffee shop, she was trying to get me into the show. And she has like an encyclopedic knowledge of everything. She was telling me everyone's lineage and all this stuff. And I'm like, that's just too much for me. I cannot. <laughs> so, so, so long story short, I never got into it, but... I wouldn't say I'm like a hater either. Like, it's not the kind of thing where I'm like, oh, that sucks. Or I don't see why anybody would like it. Like, it's just not really my wheelhouses. 
Yeah, well, I'm not like that into fantasy either, but maybe some like if you've watched the Lord of the Rings movies, for instance, or you played some of the you know advanced Dungeons and Dragons computer games, maybe it kind of makes sense because you know the tropes and the usual elements of this genre. But anyway, um, I will say season three and four are the best, so I would encourage you to just watch those because I, I think those are by far the best seasons. I think this is my problem is that I have a bad habit of texting or surfing the internet or doing something else while I watch TV. Oh, that's a, and yeah, made, that's a bad habit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I made that the mistake of starting that when I watched Game of Thrones from the beginning. I didn't realize how much everything matters and every there's a lot of info dumps and I think what happened to me was I just kind of fell hopelessly behind and figuring out who anybody's relationship was. Like, uh, I tried to go back to the beginning and rewatch it without doing any distractions. And then I was like, wow, so that's what happened this first episode. Like, I, I didn't realize who, what all the Kingslayer stuff was about, what any, what Ned Stark's relationship was to the old king and stuff. So I think that's kind of what made me lose, lose it. It isn't that I don't like the tropes, it's that I just fell behind on the information. It becomes impossible to understand the ramifications of anything else if you don't get the early uh, establishing relationships and uh, backstory. Yeah, plus like the main uh, Stark family, they have like three sons who are all around the same age. And they kind of, at first, they all kind of look alike. So it's hard to tell who's who. But yeah, if, if you stick with it, I think it becomes a bit easier. Anyway, so my article, the, the reason I wrote it is uh, because, as I said, we write a lot and we talk a lot about just like the media and stuff. We noticed that there were a lot of calls among uh, all sorts of minority groups for more representation in Game of Thrones. And this is something I also heard when the Lord of the Rings movies were, you know, were the hot shit in kind of like the early to mid 2000s. Uh, why are there only white people in Middle Earth? Why are there only white people in Westeros? And that always bothered me in the sense that I just simply didn't trust the people who, the showrunners, uh, to create good minority characters. Because in apparently in the whole Game of Thrones universe, there is actually uh, an analog nation to China. Uh, and I, I don't know how good it's depicted in the books. It's probably, I you know, whatever. I don't really care because the really relevant thing is the TV show because that's what most people care about. But you just know that if they ever depicted either, you know, like like a analog African or like East Asian nation, you know it's going to be very stereotyped and you'll only have like one or two token figures from those groups that are made into the main cast. And even in the show right now, um, there are minority characters, but generally they're they're the least interesting, the most uh, marginal. It, it, it's just, you know, it's a why beg for inclusion all the time when you know you're not going to get good treatment. And it becomes even worse because at least Game of Thrones is fantasy. So you could make the argument, you know, this world has dragons and, you know, these these people called stone men, which are like these crazy people with some kind of magical leprosy. Um, why can't you have minority characters, you know, who are in these pseudo-European uh, kingdoms? And like, okay, f that's fair enough. But I've also seen the argument made for actual historical dramas, like something set in 19th century Europe. Like why, what, and they, some articles say, we should stop white casting that, even though- Yeah, it's like it's very of weird. Were white. It just, and really what that tells me is this, I think this, if you're a person of color in America, inundated with this idea that the only world stage setting, et cetera, that matters is like a European white one. And, and equality cannot be achieved until you somehow force yourself into that. No matter, not only does it not make sense, but it raises a whole host of questions because I've seen some 
people like Angry Asian Man tweet that Henry Golding, the, the male star of Crazy Rich Asians, should be in Pride and Prejudice. Now, Pride and Prejudice takes place in Regency England. And, you know, the Opium Wars is not that far off from there. Uh, Britain's already colonizing India at that point. It's like, okay, so if there is like an Asian dude who owns like some manor in England, what's his stance on that? And why is he allowed to own land when, you know, the, it just, it's just fucked up. And that's just and that's just that, right? There's two ways it can go, in my in my opinion. And one of two things is gonna happen. You're either gonna have to have him there and be Asian, erase the history of what's going on. So he's there, but you just never mention the opium wars, all this other stuff. So then it's kind of like you're making the area the, the era and it's like a nine hundred pound elephant in the room. Because like you said, people will think of these things and you're kind of like for lack of no pun intended, but like whitewashing the period and the reason exactly. because it's almost like it's almost like, hey, I guess racism wasn't so bad or these things weren't so bad. If this guy can be here, you have to acknowledge those things exist. But this guy just doesn't care about this stuff, in which case, is he really an Asian character to look up to? Because he's somebody who when his people are dying in the opium wars or whatever, he's happy just being in, uh, in, in old England, you know, as long as he can just have money and hang around the white people like so he's like a total like uh sellout you know what yeah, i mean he's like, either uh, he's either stupid or a sellout take your choice yeah yeah exactly there's there's no or the third option this stuff is happening and he is woke but the amount of changing you're gonna have to do it's now a different story like you know he can't just be the male protagonist now if he's like uh doing all this woke stuff in old, <laughs> in old times, like you change, like it's not the same story anymore. Yeah. You'd have to change the story significantly. Yeah, it's like yeah. Try try starting a civil rights movement in like 1820s England. See see how well that goes, right? Yeah yeah exactly exactly. And have it st- and have it still end up where the book ended up, where you know the happy ending and whatever. Yeah. Like you know, at the end of it all. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is all a symptom of uh, all the people who enjoy these stories, who are not exclusively white. I mean, people of all. Uh, you know, races enjoy these stories. But I think they it's them realizing that the real, you know, Mr. Darcy or whoever was probably like a hardcore racist. And because he, he'd be a product of his time, it'd be weird if he weren't. If he were suddenly woke bay back then, yeah. he would probably, I don't know, be thrown into a monastery somewhere for being crazy. Or, or he would have, it wouldn't be a secondary part of his life. It would probably be the primary part of his life because like those people who back then were into like being abolitionists and stuff, they kind of tended to be extreme because to go that much against the grain of your society, you're not going to be like a casual, you're not going to be like an NPR tote bag listening type <laughs> yeah, of you, you'd be John, person. You'd be like John, John Brown, Brown and, yeah, and John. you would be scrubbed out of history because, you know, they, they don't want you to exist. Yeah, and, and those ab- the British abolitionists, I forget the guy's name, very well-known guy. He has three, he has three names. I forget, his, I forget what his name is, but the guy that was instrumental in bringing about the end of the slave trade in England, like way before it happened in, uh, in America. They said that guy just lived, breathed, and, you know, whatever, abolition. Like, that was just his thing. Like, you know, and it, it would kind of have to be because you'd have to be, like, obsessed with the thing. Put yourself through all that grief back then. Yeah, they're actually making a David Copperfield movie uh, starring Dev Patel, who was the star of Slumdog Millionaire. And his, like, like the main, like, the, the woman who becomes his wife, a character named Agnes, is, I, I think, played by a black woman. And I'm just trying to wrap my head around this. Like, okay, th- this is, the, like, the Keynesian era. I, I think this is... 
this obviously when, when the, you know, the uh, British colonization of India is in full swing. I think this is when like the sepoy mutiny happens. So I don't know what uh, David's stance on that is. And I, I don't know, if you're like a black woman in that time in in uh, Britain, I, I don't even want to imagine how hard your life would be. But of course, I'm sure this movie, the movie might make a few token gestures. She, may, she might get like spat on in the street. But of course, I'm sure a kind white person will take her in you know that bullshit you know I, i'm just curious how this movie's gonna play out and and you know there are there are stories of black people and other minorities present at times you totally would not expect them to be present and i always wonder like what that was like in reality but the problem is that could be an interesting story to tell but i think it just wouldn't be a sexy one uh, representation matters crew so they would rather have this kind of um you know fiction going on like like for example uh i know i know when abolition happened uh there were in in uh england there were a lot of uh black people who were actually there in england so they were like free from whenever abolition happened and i always like wonder like that's so interesting like what were their lives like like uh they were managed to intermarry pass on it's like there's stories that they can search out and still be able to uh place themselves in these times but i think they're just i think with a lot of these people a lot of them kind of grew up in white spaces or are in white environments or are tokens and all these other areas of their life and the escapism they want is to be uh one of the cool kids in a way and i think to see a story take place where the person is like you know even more of an outcast than they are now is like no appeal because that's what they're trying to escape you know exactly and i don't think they even need to be tokens because i can talk about this from personal experience i think the thing is a lot of these people on twitter or people who want to who are either in or want to get into the whole culture industries they grow up you know reading you know like like the classic novels you know the plays operas etc and you know i was kind of one of those people too i grew up in high school reading charles dickens um you know jane austen thomas hardy all these people so when you devour these worlds all you know are white characters and the and for you you want to be a part of that and you don't want to be a part of that segment of history where you're you know those really hard scrabbling abolitionists or you know rebels in china or india fighting the imperialists that's, that's not the stories you grew up with the stories you grew up with were you know emma or Nicholas Nickleby or these types of stories and you so desperately want to see yourself in them and and you have this warped sense of equality in which if I can I can uh, just like face swap an Asian face onto those characters even though I keep everything else the same that is somehow equality which is the really messed up thing about that is it assumes that there are no stories worth telling outside of that European setting because it's not like the only you know love stories, wars, you know, acts of heroism, all that only happened in Europe, obviously happened all over the world. Yet, you know, these people, they have no interest in that because that's not really how they identify. I think, uh, too, uh, a lot of this happens with genre fiction, too, like Lord of the Rings, um, superhero movies, because now we're this big um, so-called nerd uh, renaissance, which it's really not because... Everybody can't be a nerd. If so, if some if Avengers Endgame is about to become the number one grossing movie of all time, all the people who like it, by definition, can't be nerds. Like yeah, it's, it's a by definition, it's a culture of the marginal. And if everybody isn't on the mainstream, it's yeah. Unless you it's 
change the definition of nerd. Yeah, what, what they try to do is try to act like nerd has to do with the subject matter. So if you like something that's related to a comic book, you're now somehow a nerd. But that's but you could be a nerd about anything as long as you're an outcast about it. So so and or the hobby itself is the outcast hobby. So it's kind of weird to see like you know just like 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 models saying like they're nerds. You know like because uh, they watch. Avengers movies are crazy about them. It's like, no, no, you're not. Even if even if you were watching it back when it was uncool to watch, if you yourself were a cool person, you were just a cool person watching something usually associated with nerds. Like, you know, like I like uh, now I think it's different. Where now, like, uh, nerd just does, doesn't mean anything. Nerd is just the new cool. Like, like it actually is like the new cool. Um, yeah, it's it's not it's not real. There's no um, need to be like an outcast, and so it's kind of ironic to me is that a lot of these minorities i think if you come from an environment where you really want um acceptance and you read all these things and you're not really in them like you're playing you're doing cosplay there's nobody for you to cosplay you're uh um when that show was it stranger things um yeah stranger things the, the second season had them playing the ghostbusters they automatically wanted the black kid to be Winston, and Winston and the black kid was like, you know why? Because I'm black. Like, uh, he's like the wackest Ghostbuster. He's not even in the whole movie. He's the only one who's not a scientist. And then the white kid is like, well, Winston is cool. So then the black kid is like, well, why don't you be Winston then? You know, and, and <laughs> the switcheroo, and, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think like that same kind of thing because because everyone kind of consumes everything in a stand way now. I think even like classic novels. That's how people consume classic novels now. Like people want to. A Nicholas Nickleby novel, so that they can do um, Tumblr GIF and and shipping uh, Tumblr. Yeah, about it, it, it becomes you know? just because they they like the story because they want to talk in you know very floral language and wear top hats with waistcoats and you know it's completely removed from its history. And yeah. in fact, but the thing is, like on one hand, you know the whole woke crowd always wants to make people wear inject. Historical context into various myths, such as you know the founding fathers' myths or the Thanksgiving myths, uh, the Pocahontas myths. Yet they have their own version of wanting to decontextualize stories, so that um, all these stories that actually take place during very historically fraught times becomes just about the clothes and the language and etc. And so it's it's very inconsistent what they're doing. We have D just just jumped in. Say what's up to the people, D. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's D Mills. You can catch me on Twitter at mbmills 79 Glad to be in. Oxford, thanks for joining us. Hey, what's up, D? What's going on, man? Yeah, yeah, we're talking about a movie I'm sure you're going to see. What is it with Gemma Chan? What's that movie? That they're, that oh, they're... um, is, is Mr. Malcolm's List. Something Malcolm. I just want okay. to make sure. But that's actually not the first movie... That she's been so. I saw a movie a few uh, months ago. It's called Mary Queen of Scots. Uh, yeah, the movie's called Mr. Malcolm's mm-hmm. List. So in this movie, it's about this. Uh, it's about you know Mary Queen of Scots and her issues with Queen Elizabeth the First and the whole Catholic versus Protestant thing. I, ha- I have that movie in my. Uh, I have it right here. I was getting ready to watch <laughs> Mary Queen of Scots. See the 
it's not a bad movie, but yeah. okay, it got, it duped me because when I first saw it, it had a really high rating on Rotten Tomatoes, uh-huh. uh, and, and my girlfriend really wanted to see the movie, so I was like, oh yeah, I the trailers didn't look that good, but I was like, oh, it got a pretty good rating. I uh, it probably means at least it's not terrible. I went to see the movie, and it was okay, and I was like, did the critics really like this movie? Then I went back to check the rating, and it had tanked from when I had first seen it. It's like, oh goddamn it! If I'd known it, I might have not, I might have not gone to see it. But the thing that that movie was both like cheered on for and got criticized is that in the queen's court uh you have minorities playing like her handmaidens and then you know like dukes and earls and counts and and whatever that was praised as i guess like post-racial colorblind casting mm. and sort of similar to what people, we see in game of thrones yeah but this was mm. this was actual history though right right right, right and course. then and then people said if you criticize this you're a racist and i <laughs> understand that I sympathize with the actor's predicament, especially, I think, if you're, like, a British actor, because, you know, the, the Brits are always going to do their, you know, fucking Shakespeare and, mm-hmm. and Dickens and, and King Arthur stuff. And, yeah, if you're, if let's say that's, like, 50% of the, you know, theater and movie and TV shows, then, yeah, as an actor of color, you are squeezed out and you kind of have to be able to play those roles in order just to make a living. Mm-hmm. I'm very sympathetic to that argument. I'm much less sympathetic to the argument that us having those roles is some kind of like racial inequality, racial equality in and of itself because, uh, you know, people of color are so barren of our own stories that we have to be included in these white stories or else what the hell would we have, right? right? right. And that's just bullshit. Um, one thing that, you know, to play a devil's advocate thing, I think... Once in a while, it wouldn't be bad if people were just kind of treating it like, hey, we're just play acting. Like, for example, all the Shakespeare stuff, right? Um, They used to have women, men playing all the uh, roles, both, you know, men and women. And there was this kind of idea that, you know, everyone's suspending their disbelief, you know, like like on the, you know, when it comes to the theater and stuff. And then they had, um, I think as kind of like a stunt casting, I think they had some Shakespeare where women played all the roles, you know, and there's a kind of suspension of disbelief. And I think it's something like that where everyone's kind of just admitting that, you know, we're pretending the people are white. But, but you know, we have a multiracial cast because, you know, somebody thought it'd be fun to play Iago and it'd be fun to see like, you know... See Terrence Howard play Iago or something, you know, and he'll be like, "Hey man, hey Othello man," you know, something, <laughs> something like that. Like, like you know, that could be funny to see. I, I wouldn't mind like seeing that, but I think when it comes to like these movies, they kind of want the person to literally, into in the name of representation, be that race, and I think that's when it gets kind of uh, really weird. You know? Yeah, I think with theater, you can get away with that more, just because it. it- with theaters recycle the same place so much that I think people do get tired of seeing the same story again and again. I mean, I recently watched a production of King Lear and Cordelia was played by a black woman and there were lots of other black actors there. Uh, and I, nobody like nobody raised that even as an issue because I think that's just a custom because, okay, you're doing this for the billionth time. You can't just have the same. I think theater has a lot of heavy lifting by the audience anyway because, yeah. because the, the audience, it'll be something like, Someone's supposed to be in a car, and the so-called car is just a piece of a windshield that they have uh, propped up in front of them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's so much like heavy lifting that the that actors that the audience has to do to construct the scene around the actors. I think the race or the gender is just one more thing. There's a lot more make believe, whereas I think with movies, the sense of literalism is, uh, you know, that the audience expects is a little bit more. 
Yeah. Have you seen those sword fights on stage in, in a play? They're, they're often terrible. It just, <laughs> oh, they're really. It looks like they're, kids they're playing really with like plastic swords, but yeah, you gotta. It's a, and it's like a battle, but it's like three guys fighting each other. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Or if it's one of those things that's like a low budget, so like the set is just like, you know, one tree, one tree. And you know all the tricks they have to do to kind of create like you know a sense of scale, like you mm-hmm. know, it's like you have to just kind of like uh, play along, like when your kids are playing, um, you know, make believe and stuff. Yeah. But the one play where I had a problem with, and the play that I think or musical that I think is the grandfather of you know greenlighting all this crap is uh, Hamilton. And I think with the, oh, yeah, the Hamilton sure. part, yeah, with the Hamilton part, they made everybody black. And then erased actual black people. And that became very weird. And the people that they had the black people playing were all racist. And and then telling them, and not just racist, like it wasn't like they were racist against just a third group, you know, which still wouldn't be good, but it's more understandable. But people were were enslaved, like, you know, their ancestors. It was a, that was just so fraught with weird regressive politics being sold as like, progressive politics you know what i mean mm. yeah actually last last weekend i was on a panel in in baltimore and uh, you know i got to talk a bit about this article too and after the uh, panel a, a guy this asian guy came up to me and he actually asked me what my opinion on hamilton was and i and i said i haven't watched it i generally don't like it but uh, you should go listen to this episode on champagne sharks this guy t really hates <laughs> hamilton so you should you should go listen to it <laughs> You can see a pirated version. I saw it by uh, downloading a pirated version. So, oh, you yeah. mean like some guys uh, snuck in a camera and just and just shot the whole thing? You mean? Yeah, I don't know if he snuck it in or. See, I mean, he must do have. Do you see people but, getting but up, walking so, to the concession stands and all that kind of stuff in the middle of it? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know what? Uh, the way theater is kind of works, unlike a, a movie theater, is uh, well, depending on what type of theater you go to, but they can be pretty sloped. So right. it's like the, there's a clear line of sight, but you see all the heads. Like it's like almost overhead, mm-hmm. the oh, angle okay. of it. Mm-hmm. So so it's like I mean, there's no denying the audience is there. There's no hiding the audience. It's uh, but the heads don't get in the way either. Like, like they do in the bootleg. Those, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those are the best. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not like that. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah. So so I I saw the whole thing like like that, and I was like, wow, if. Because people were trying to talk me into seeing it. They're like, oh, you can't hate it without seeing it. Like, I would have been pissed if I paid money and I saw that thing. Mm-hmm. I think it was really... You know, it's, it's really weird. Crazy. You introduced a new dynamic to it that I didn't think about with Hamilton. Because when I was thinking about Hamilton, you know, and they they utilize black characters to play white characters, you know, people that are historically white or whatever. I kind of had this in my mind, like um, what they did with like Denzel and Much Ado About Nothing and all of that kind of stuff. Like, it didn't even really dawn on me the fact that they were using black characters and actually erasing black people from history by having these black people pay known racists and slave owners like that didn't even that's a new dynamic that i didn't even think of and the and the way they speak about it too in the interviews i think this makes it extra insulting because first of all it's it's something that they call founder chic like founder chic is this thing where you kind of really lionize and worship like the founders so these people weren't even just playing like not be interesting say they had everyone played black everyone black played their characters but it was like a scathing unflinching look mm-hmm. at them that I might be doing like okay that, that could be interesting you know uh, but it's just straight up ass kissing like like the black people are there to ask kiss the you know the people like you know make them uh, seem really cool and everyone and the interviews are always saying stuff like finally we get a chance to be part of history and it's like what do you mean like 
Yeah, but which be part of part history? Of, right. Like, <laughs> written by whom? Yeah, yeah but, but what does it even mean, finally be a part of history? Like, like, like you know, like they didn't exist, you know? Like black people didn't exist because they weren't doing what white people did. It was very, it was very weird. That's a great point. Yeah. And I, th- I think that just highlights what the deal is, is being made here, right? It's, I think there are a lot of people, especially like white liberal types, who want to continue to enjoy these narratives because it's such a part of their heritage, yet they have to admit that there's all sorts of problems with it and it, they can't just guiltlessly enjoy it like they might have in the 50s or whatever. So they have to kind of commission uh, these people of color to come in and make it okay for them to, to enjoy it. To enjoy yeah. it. Like, this is why I, uh, some people say, oh, we should have like an Asian James Bond. Like, fuck no. Yeah. Like, so so what? There's so James Bond is going to go around killing all sorts of people around the world, but in, in the name of the queen or whatever, <laughs> yet it's going to be okay because he has like an Asian or black face. Like, right. You know, the beginning of Casino Royale has James Bond going to some like African country, just killing like all these black right, people. Right, right, right. Like imagine like Idris Elba doing that. Like that'd be so weird, just yeah. weird um, and wrong. The one that the one that uh, really incredible. I, and I was thinking it'll be a great troll because I think I think white people are very good at doing elaborate trollings of people you know <laughs> i think i think one of the best recent ones was when they invited that uh april ryan woman to oh, yeah, um, yeah. april rain yeah. uh, april rain to the uh to the oscars and they made a big deal and they they, they dressed her up and it they was dressed like her <laughs> yeah yeah like like uh um you remember carrie when they uh you know oh, yeah, the pigs yeah, boy, yeah. yeah 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 they, they kind of gassed her up, up like she was yeah. the star of the show yeah and then you know they left the pig's blood on there like i feel like uh green book award was like the pig's blood like you know they <laughs> they uh did all this shit and then they give it and if you read about how fucked up green book is yeah green book is oh there's a story uh at shadow and act it's a it's an article i'm gonna put it in the show notes it's a long article but it's deeper than just being a uh, white savior film like it's because it's a true story like they just made up the whole thing basically and yeah. they they just um uh, they acted like the guy had no connection with black people and this white guy gave him his connection to black people and this guy was well grounded in the black community like, like mm-hmm. he just made up a fake version of this guy to uh and he barely knew the white guy in real life he barely in the actual story or whatever yeah yeah so so, so so I think what would be a great trolling that they can do, there's a James Bond movie that takes place, there's a James Bond book that takes place in uh, Harlem. It's called um, Live and Let Die. And they made a movie version. That's, oh, and the movie man. version, yeah. Wait, I, I've seen mo- that movie a long oh, time ago. Is that man. the one that like they take takes place in Africa? There's one that takes place in Africa and has something to do with diamonds or something. I'm not sure if it's that one. Um, uh, um, there's one called, I think, Diamonds Are Forever. I don't yeah, know if that's, I, I don't remember that's it. No, I love this. But, the one he's talking about. No, this, yeah, one, this one was. Ugh. Go ahead, T. I, I mean, the movie. The movie was in the '70s. It was still. It was still racist then. But in the in the old books, the Ian Fleming books, it's it's really bad. Like there's something. There's literal like um a pimp a pimp mobile. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um there's this there's this thing where he's talking. Okay, okay here here are some here are some uh, quotes from uh, James Brown. Right, how to fight Negroes in live and let die the book but the context is bond james bond has been captured in harlem new york and is planning an escape from his guard t he johnson his name is t he like laughing t he 
Oh yeah. Right. So oh, Tiki yeah. Johnson. Um, yeah, I'm I'm reading the synopsis. Yeah, it's the one with the voodoo uh voodoo stuff. Uh, yeah, I remember the one you go where it goes to New Orleans and and things like that. Oh yeah, oh. yeah. And as uh, but, uh, oh, go ahead. <laughs> listen, listen to what this is. This is from the book, right? So J- Bond stumbled again, trying to measure exactly the Negro's position behind him. He remembered uh Lighter's injunction. Shin, groin, stomach, throat. Hit a Negro anywhere else, and you'll just break your hand. <laughs> so, 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 so all, all this crazy race science about how to fight Negroes in the book. And I'm like, this should have Idris Elba, like you know, uh, play James Bond, but then adapt Live and Let Die, just like the 1954 book. Just uh, yeah. throwing all like uh, the anti-black racism in there and stuff. A, a couple of things I wanted to say. I, mean, I recognize the name Baron Samidi. I re- you guys ever play Goldeneye? Uh, just a quick thing. It's it's Baron Samdi. Oh, okay. Well, well, okay. like, I remember my friends and I, when, when we grew up uh, playing Golden yeah, Golden Eye. Oh, oh, man, we that was awesome. Baron Samidi. And I think yeah. Baron Samidi. <laughs> well, I used to call you Baron. He was considered a cheat character because I think he's like taller than everyone else. Uh, so it was harder to get a headshot on him. So I remember all of us saying, you can't play as him because he's a cheat character. And the other thing I want to oh. say was uh, with the Academy Awards, I thought it was that Green Book winning, I think, was basically like the older members of the Academy saying, fuck you to the last couple of Oscar uh, uh, shows, which had it felt like that pressure from the whole woke crowd. Mm-hmm. And and I think the telltale sign was if they really wanted to give it to a black movie, they could have given it to If Beale Street Could Talk, which I watched and I thought it was a really well-made movie. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Barry um, Jenkins, you know, Barry Jenkins is like the darling of... of yeah, you know Hollywood mm-hmm. and everything. So yeah, if you wanted to uh, honor like a black movie, that was for me the obvious choice. But yeah, I think this was a big middle finger to the to the whole like attempt to make Hollywood more inclusive and all that. Here, here yeah. are Asian quotes from the James Bond book. This is when James Bond's been captured by by Ajab, uh, and the book goes: Bond intended to stay alive on his own terms. Those terms included putting Odd Job and any other Korean firmly in his place, which in Bond's <laughs> estimation was rather lower than apes in the mammalian hierarchy. Oh, that's nice to hear. Yeah, and then um, about about uh, Japanese women in Quantum of Solace, which is a 1960 book. He tells he tells uh, a, J- a Japanese person it would be fine to have a pretty girl always tucking you up and bringing you drinks and hot meals and asking if you had a- everything you wanted, and they're always smiling and wanting to please. If I don't marry an air hostess, there'll be nothing for it but marry a Japanese. They seem to have the right ideas too. Yeah, yeah. And and this is my favorite where he gets to uh insult Asians and black people at once. In Doctor No, you know Doctor No takes place in Jamaica and he's um talking to the colonial secretary of the island uh over lunch. And they're talking about this thing called chigros, which I've never heard of outside of this book. And chigros are Chinese negroes. Okay. Um, <laughs> and it goes and this is this is I'm this is verbatim from from Doctor No the book because I've I've read a lot of these books. The Jamaican is a kindly lazy man with the virtues and vices of a child. He lives on a very rich island, but he doesn't get rich from it. He doesn't know how to, and he's too lazy. Finally, there are the Chinese, solid, compact, discreet, the most powerful clique in Jamaica. They've got the bakeries and the laundries and the best food stores. They keep to themselves and keep their strain pure. Not that they don't take the black girls when they want them. You can see the result of this all over Kingston. Chigros. Chinese Negroes and Negresses. The Chigros are a tough, forgotten race. They look down on the Negroes and the Chinese look down on them. 
one day they may become a nuisance. They've got some of the intelligence of the Chinese and most of the vices of the black man. I'm like, yeah, this is a great thing that we honor for, you know, an Asian or a black person to play. Mm, that's, some, that's some efficiency right there, you know, two, two for one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and I think this is what I was talking about. Uh, like you know, the people who enjoy these stories, they're like, oh god, you know, this this is really bad. But we gotta clean it up somehow. But a part of them, they don't want to clean it up too much. You know, they don't want to make James Bond like anti-imperialist because that's they, that's the kind of thing that gets them off on him. You know, you know, you know, rule Britannica or cool Britannica. Um, so they they gotta just they gotta just polish it up a little bit, you know, get the most acceptable minority with you know with the right accent uh, to play him, etc. But then what other, what happens too also, which I don't really understand, is if you change it enough, at what point it's like um do you know do you guys know what uh, Theseus ship is the the thought experiment of Theseus ship? Is it? Uh, I think I do, but uh, go ahead and explain it. Um. Theseus ship is like this uh, philosophical thought experiment that uh, tries to figure out when is something not what it is anymore, right? So like what it is, is there's like this ship that's, there's various, there's different variations of it, but say you take a plank, one plank from a ship, uh, I keep replacing it with another plank, right? Because it keeps breaking or stuff keeps happening. So you keep taking away one plank and replacing it with another at which point is it a different ship? You know, mm-hmm. like like uh, if you replace all the planks eventually, you know, is it a different ship? If you were to build a whole different ship, people would automatically think of it as a second ship. But, you know, it's like, a, and a, a, like with something like James Bond and this stuff, if you were to like race bend all this stuff or race bend all these things, and then now you got to take away all this unwoke stuff, at what point is it still um, James Bond? Like if he's not racist, if he's not upholding imperialism, is it still James Bond? Is, or is it a different character? And if it's a different character, then why not just make a new character then? Yeah. I mean, from a business point of view, because they want to cash in on the IP. But yeah, it's like... Yeah. Because, I mean, that's what some people even complain about with the, the Craig Bonds. Like, okay, he doesn't fuck around. Uh, I mean, like, you know, as in sleeping with a lot of women. He is, you know, he doesn't have corny one-liners anymore he doesn't have a lot of gadgets he feels a bit more conflicted about his job they're like oh this is not james bond mm, but yeah, there's wh- no cold war there's no cold war there's no yeah. offhand sex- sexism like you know it's, yeah yeah like what makes what is the essence what makes james bond james bond like you know and beyond race like i think race is only even a part of it like it's it's everything that comes along with it mm-hmm. and i think if we conceive of whiteness as its own actual racial identity, which it is, and for so long we've treated it as some kind of neutral universal, um, if it is its own race, at a certain point you have to acknowledge that you know there is such thing as you know European history in which most of the people in it are going to be white because you know people didn't hop on airplanes until very recently to travel around the world. I think you do have to give them that space, and I think a lot of uh, white people get confused when minorities are constantly saying, you know, like mayo this, mayo that, and, you know, all those like childish name calling that goes on in Twitter and stuff. Yet, on the other hand, they always want in on in white stories and narratives. It's got to be confusing. I mean, I, I kind of, you know, feel sorry for them because it, it must be very uh, just hard to figure out what's going on. And if, if the, you know, it's like, Let's not pretend that, um, you know, like European history was basically like New York City, you know, demographic New York City, uh, something like that. It, it just whitewashes history. Yeah, I think it only bothers, I don't know a good term for them, but 
the low end whites. I, I don't want to say stuff like that because it becomes classist. But the the whites who are the whites who are kind of cons- who like the other whites look down on, like the powerless whites, the whites without without a sense of the whites for who the white people for who I think whiteness is all they have. Like you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like 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 oh, I don't descend from the people who own slaves. I was I descend from the people who were put out of work by slaves. Like you know, like I I descend from that. Like people like that. I think those are the people. Their whiteness, they, they're the ones that get really offended on behalf of white people and they get offended by um, black stormtroopers or race bending or male jokes because that's really like all they have. Mm-hmm. Like uh, if, you, if, if you make fun of being white, then there's nothing for them. But I think for like white elites, white people with power, it's like a joke to them. Like like they can afford to self-deprecate even like you know like there was that tweet that some asian girl uh put up that i shared where um do you remember do you remember what it was it was it was on twitter but but she put she put something about let me see let me see if i could find it hold, hold on but she she tweeted she tweeted something kind of um oh yeah this is it she goes imagine if white dudes put as much effort into making women come as they do into creating podcasts and then um this other Asian girl, Blue Check, you know, was jumping in and like, you know, laughing too. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, oh, look at all these angry uh, white guys. But to me, that just cried to me. You know, like you act like you're making fun of white guys, but you're actually kind of putting them on a pedestal, you know, with this with this joke. But all these white guys jumped into the mentions laughing along and, you know, saying like self-deprecating too. And I'm like, you know what? These are probably the type of white guys who live in you know brooklyn or portland or wherever these places um routinely like you know hook up with girls like the ones who made this um joke tweet and whatever and being able to laugh at themselves is almost like the handicap principle like you know i i'm so cool i could brag about like 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 when um you see like um okay i'll give an example i went to a party right it was was like a white party Uh, and there's (laughs) all like these uh white people there at one point in the party a bunch of these girls, and the girls are kind of like diverse, right? Um, a bunch of these girls got the guys, the white guys, to go and try on like the dresses. And mm-hmm. then these different white guys came out of the back room wearing the girls' dresses. Everybody was dying. And then I'm looking, and I'm like, you know, like disgusted. I'm like, you know, what are you guys doing? Like, you know, you guys are like making punks of yourself. And then I kind of realized, wait a minute, they can do this because they're white. Like their manhood is assured. There's no doubt about it. Like. If I did it, like, you know, my status is questionable. I can't self-deprecate like that. Like, I'm like, I got to think about myself as one of them. If I'm in their shoes, it's almost like they're bragging they have manhood to spare. We can do, you know, like, there's this Lonely Island uh, rap skit where they're just rapping about how small their dicks are. Oh, really? And I feel like, yeah, only white guys can get away with that. Like, you know, any other race... Yeah, definitely, just, definitely not Asians, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, uh, it, would, it would be like uh, Ken Young. It would be like cringy. Like, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? But but uh, for a black guy to do it, it'll look like, you know, he's being like an extra punk. Like, you know, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't work. And I feel like uh, the white guys who are sensitive about this stuff, because a bunch of white guys jumped into her comments to be mad, and they just kind of revealed themselves as like, you know, you guys are the white guys for who whiteness is uh, not working out. Like, like you're, you're, you're outing yourself. Like the white guys who come in 
and laugh it off, you know, is like, ha, ah, you know, that's real funny now. Uh, come blow me. Like, like, like that's the vibe that they're giving off. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like, like, and I think it's calculated that they're doing that. Um, this is all to say, I don't really believe white guys feel bad about any of these ma- this Mayo stuff. I think, I think the ones who are winning, like, enjoy it and enjoy laughing at it. And the ones who don't, like, the ones who are on, like, the MAGA and 4chan message boards and worked up about this shit are, you know, they were never really in the game. Yeah, because you got to look at this, all this whole, like, diversity thing. Like, what, what, who's really pulling the strings here? And it's the, it's like the white progressive elites. And it's their way of maintaining their position. And how they do it is they jettison the, you know, the dirty whites uh, for the most qualified people of color. And that just tells exactly. you everything where the most highly qualified person of color is, is only good as, you know, the, the you know, so-called white trash. Mm. You know, I don't like using that term, but that's what these elites think. Wow. And I yeah. re, I re, and, and like the bar Powerful is so point. low for, for these white elites, you know. Um, I recently saw, have you guys seen the Avengers movie? Yes. I, I saw the first hour of it. I didn't finish okay, it. Okay, actually, I just uh, went to see it today. It was actually the first Avengers movie I've ever seen. We're actually going to do a podcast on it on Escape from Plan A. So I went with a friend for like research purposes. Oh, oh I, I have a quick, I have a quick question before you get started. Yeah, sure. Were you able to follow it because those movies have so much backstory? I'm always curious. Um, what is it like I was, for? An, yeah. Well, I think just by living, you absorb. Like I know that in the last movie, Thanos killed a lot of people. I know that there are these things called Infinity Stones that are kind of like MacGuffins, but they're supposed to be very powerful. And I generally know who's who and what their personality traits are. So I actually didn't have that much problem it's, following it. It's definitely a movie for people who are like have seen every single one of the Marvel movies and paid close attention to every single detail that went on. Like <laughs> that's how much. Yeah. How about character relationships? Like, like we able to tell like context like who's supposed to be mad at who because I, that's one thing that, that jumped out at me is like wow the, the context needed for these things is so deep now yeah i kind of knew you know captain mm-hmm. america and iron man beefed i think that was the whole basis of civil war i think yeah. um i knew and, and i feel like that's the most important relationship so and i knew uh iron man uh had a closer t- relationship with spider-man because of all the memes mm-hmm. where he's like oh, i don't feel so good mr stark just because I've seen that oh, okay. meme so much, I knew there was a special relationship with them. But anyway, I watched this movie, and at the end, um, there I remember these two distinct scenes. I think which were supposed to show how progressive this uh, Avengers universe was. The first is when Thor lets Valkyrie, I guess, become king of Asgard. Mm-hmm. Uh, Valkyrie is the played by Tessa Thompson, and then at the end, uh, uh, Captain America, uh, the Chris Evans, uh, lets. Um, Anthony Mackie, I think his character's name is Falcon, I'm not sure, uh, lets him yeah. become the next Captain America. And I thought, okay, this is probably their way of trying to signal how inclusive this universe is. Yet, in both instances, it's the white people letting the people of color and women uh, take power by mm. their graciousness. And that's how low the bar is. That's how. That's why I remember when Chris Evans helped Regina King up the stairs in the Oscars right. and, and just put her on crazy. It's like, oh my God, the bar is so low. So yeah. I think the like the white libs who are at the top know how low this bar is. They're okay, we just have to throw them a few bones, get rid of the, the gross white people that we don't like anyway, who are yeah. all from like Youngstown or, uh, you know, um, Allentown or whatever. 
and that's the deal yeah and that's interesting because that's uh, why i kind of see yeah. that it like with somebody like black panther or blade those two characters are, are fairly important to me in the marvel in the context of what you just described because they became popular in their own right you know what i mean where as far as like the sam character that he handed the shield to you know he was allowed by captain america to become the new and, captain and, america. and he already had his own he already yeah. had his own identity and mm-hmm. it's like you know what i'm giving, I'm you, giving mine. you mine yeah. so, so, so so toss yours away like yours is automatically inferior to mine like yeah. you know uh, so remember we talked about know, that kind of thing a while back t i don't know if you remember but we were talking about in in the in the in one of the previous episodes about how um like the thing with legacy characters and as opposed to letting a, a new character come along and develop on their own they just say okay now you're yeah. you want to get women involved so now you know we're gonna make jane thor you know what i mean or we're gonna make valkyrie king of asgard now like instead of just letting those characters develop on their own and putting actual effort into it you just hand sam the captain uh captain america shield and say here he's captain america so you don't have to develop it. and what and one thing that's interesting is a lot of black guys and stuff online who say the same thing mm. and you know they get a lot of grief like but there's a lot of black youtubers who say the same thing like stop giving us um you know characters like this we don't need like a black sjw um falcon turn captain america and all this stuff i find interesting that those guys get kind of silenced like the face of you know a fan that thinks this, this stuff is stupid is like the the white uh maga guy but you know what that was a very interesting fictional example of like I don't know if I was reading too much into it or if this was intended, but I think like a good scene about like the quote unquote trash white getting thrown away is you remember in um, Get Out when uh, the cop pulls over um, Chris and, and Rose? Yeah. And it was like, you know, he the cop is, you know, clearly like a blue collar uh, guy, probably, you know, lives in the town, has heard of the family up there, but, you know, you've never like really seen them or, or didn't know that uh, you don't mess with that family. And, you know, this girl is like, you know, by white standards, a conventionally attractive, uh, you know, woman, probably the kind of girl like he would dream to have, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, probably looks much better than the wife he has at home or whatever, but would never like give a guy like him a type of the time of day. He, you know, one of the joys of being a cop is this idea like, hey, at least I get to like uh, beat black people up, you know, and she just totally pulls rank on him and is like, no, this guy is worth more than you. Like, you know, if you know it's good for you, you're going to go back down uh, to your post while we bring this guy up to the big house that you'll never be invited to, you know, and I feel like that one scene was very much an encapsulation of what like that type of guy's mindset is when he sees like diversity and stuff like that's the guy who gets bothered by diversity but rose's family doesn't care because they have power they can give away power and still have enough left over several times over to spare if anything it's almost like a type of showing off all right y'all so that is the end of part one Go to, again, patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks or click the link in the show notes to get part two. Be good.